and culture. We're going to start a new series talking about culture and talking about how culture is so different everywhere. And we know it's different, right? Even, even that, even thinking about Christmas and what we do as uh, typically Americans, and not every American is the same, but as you're preparing for the holiday season, have you already talked to family about how you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving? I mean, it's, it's how many days away? What's today? The 6th, 7th? So you're talking about 21 days away? Three weeks away? And have you talked about that? And do you eat, how many of you eat turkey? <laughs> I don't know, most of us, right? I don't know, a lot of people I know, they're like, they don't really care for turkey all that much, but Thanksgiving, you pretty much always have turkey. Um, you know, there's different things we do. I know we, um, different families have different traditions, and that becomes kind of your culture. It's an interesting thing. I know uh, it, it's different everywhere, but, you know, how we greet each other a lot of times is very cultural. You know, for, for me, I'll just speak for me, can't speak for all Americans anymore, but, you know, with COVID, it's changed things a lot because you're not sure how to greet, you know, if you're going to do the fist bump or hug or whatever. I mean, it's just changed. But there's some of it is just culture. Where, did, where do you get your culture from? Have you thought about that? Media. Who <laughs> said media? Okay. All right. I'm going to tell your dad you said that. But okay. Because uh, most of us start with our families. Right, You grow up in a family, and that's kind of how you learn your culture, like how you do what you do, how you do dinner, how you set the table, how you, how you greet one another, who is in your home, and how that works, if, if they can sit anywhere. If you're, I, I was spending some time with one of the families in our church this week, and I was actually um, out, out of town by Kirksville in their, his parents' home. So you walk in, and, and you, I, I'm really aware that this is a new family culture I'm walking into. And, and you wonder, like, okay, where's dad's seat? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You walk in, well, who sits where? It sits where? And we sat down to dinner, like, well, who's? Because it's different. Everybody has a different culture. You learn that at home. Like how generous you are, how giving you are, how, 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 who says what when, who talks or doesn't talk. I mean, all of that. And a lot of it, you can, it can have something to do, too, by where you're raised. I mean, you can live right next door to somebody and have a totally different culture than them. Because you're different. You're raised in a different home, raised in a different environment. It can be super different. And then if you go for a country, then you're in a different country and it's really different. How you do things is different. And, and, and when you do it is different. And what you celebrate is different. It can be different even between you know, the suburbs from rural to, to in the city. I mean, things are different. And all of that plays into what your culture is. Different income levels are different. How you handle money is different. For some people, the way they handle money, they, they save it. Other people, they spend it. Some people invest it, and they want to watch it grow. All of that is culture, and you learn that a lot, most of the time in your home, but then, then as a country or a people, you can learn that. And every, every country has different histories. I mentioned, I think last week or the week before, I'd taken some students to Russia in 92. It was soon after the wall had fallen, and we were there. We started in Moscow, and then we went in the, in the middle of the country, and it was just so fascinating to see everything and just, just to try to understand how history has changed this part of this massive country. We were in a city called Kamarovo and about, it was in Siberia, it was as cold as can be. And um, they were starting to tear down some of the Lenin statues and change it, but not all of them. And so I kept asking questions about like, with this and how did this happen and what was this building for? And, and uh, it, was, it was interesting because as Americans, you know, we... In general, there's a big generality, but, you know, we talk and we laugh out loud and we look around. And, and um, at one point, the interpreter, she said, can you stop pointing at things? I'm like, what? She goes, everywhere we go, you say, what's that? And what's this? And how is that? And, 
She says, and then after the day, I have to report back and I have to answer a question for every time you pointed at something. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. And she says, just, she goes, I don't, you can ask, but just keep your head down when you ask and tell me what you're asking about and I'll tell you. And I realized, that's why everybody around us, they don't look around, they keep their head down. And Same thing in New York City. I mean, it's not just about different countries. I remember I was in New York on a mission trip once and <laughs> I, I tell you, I shouldn't tell you all the stories I tell you. So <laughs> at one point, the, the leader of the ministry is Bill Wilson and it, we were in, um, in the Bedford Side neighborhood and he said, um, okay, it was me and another guy. He goes, you guys need to stop talking to everybody, stop looking at everybody, stop smiling, and stop as you're walking. I'm like, what are we supposed to do? And he says, just keep your head down and walk. I'm like, what's the problem? He goes, well, the word on the street is either you're cops or you're gay, one or the other, because nobody else does that. I'm like, uh, okay. I said, that's just how we are. He goes, well, that's how you are in California. That's fine. I, was in Cal- I lived in California at the time. He goes, we don't do that here. Just keep your head down. Walk, walk. Just don't say anything to anybody. That's culture. See how that works? It's different for everybody, right? What if you're a different color? You've experienced different things for sure. Where your politics are. I mean, a lot of times people grow up in different homes, and they may end up with different politics, but how you th- see things coming over the radio or the TV or the news or Different movements or different political parties. I mean, all that's different. How you see uh, even faiths. Different religions have different cultures that come along with them. And how we do things is different. Even this church. As you walk into this church today, maybe for you, I I met a couple of people who are new. I saw some other faces I didn't recognize. I saw some people who've been here before, but they they don't come all the time. So I'm aware of the fact that our culture in this room, how we do church together is different than maybe a church just down the street. The way we worship together, the way we sing songs. I, I've had this happen a number of times. I remember distinctly my wife, her, hus- her husband, uh, her dad uh, had grown up, he, he's Catholic, and when he visited our church in Minnesota, he said, wow, does this band play here every week? And, um, and, and we, he kind of threw us off because you know, our culture was different. For us, it wasn't a band that just played here because he said, do they play other places too? And in my mind, I was thinking, well, if we do a service with another church, they might play. That's not what he was talking about. Where his culture, the way he grew up, there was no band. It didn't work that way. They didn't sing these types of songs. It was nowhere near like this. And yet, if I get with our Brazilian brothers, their worship is so similar because it's the same. So their cultures overlap and they, they, they are similar. But then there's times where you're related to somebody and it's totally different. But even the way we're doing what we're doing now, the way I preach is different than maybe like Pastor Rob preaches or another preacher or even the other preachers we have on staff here. Our style is different. And that ultimately becomes a culture. I mean, all of these things play into what is culture. It's just different. And it may seem so different that for some people it can be hard to even relate to. Different Christians practice Christianity different. There's similarities, of course, but culturally they can be very, very, very different. Even what it means to be a Christian and how we define what Christianity is. If we were to go back to the main things, the very basic things, let's do that for a minute. What does that mean? Do you believe and trust in Jesus? Do you believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life like he said he was? That's something that's very interesting. Separates Christianity from all of the faiths. When Jesus stood there 2,000 years ago and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
That was revolutionary. Now for us, we say those words all the time and and for us it makes sense, but it was revolutionary. And you know what? It's revolutionary in our culture today too. Are you aware of that? We're in a current culture today where people would rather say that he is one of the ways or a way, not the way. But Jesus didn't give us that option. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Something else different. He didn't say, just follow my teaching. Of course, he said that. But he said, I am it. I am it. You follow me. So in the course of Jesus teaching and speaking and walking on this earth, he said these many, many things that pointed to the fact that he himself is God. He said that. He was having a discussion with the the religious rulers of the day, the Jewish rulers of the day. And he answered them at one point and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, they knew exactly what he meant. Because what he meant was, I am the self-existent, eternally existent God that is not just here now, but was and is and will always be. They knew that. And when he identified himself as saying, my father now, for some of you, maybe, you, I don't know, if any of you are culturally Mexican, I know where I grew up was mostly Mexican, all my friends were Mexican, my high school's all Mexican, and it wasn't uncommon for me to be talking to one of my friends, and he would say, he, one of his brothers would be right there, and he would turn to his brother, and he said, my dad said you have to go home early today. And I remember saying there one time, like, I thought you guys had the same dad. And they're like, we do. That's just how we say it. That's culture, right? They say it that way. My dad said for you to go... I, I wouldn't have said that in my family. I would have said, Dad said, knowing that it would have assumed it was the same dad. That's what was happening when Jesus said, my father. They knew what he meant. He was saying, he's my father. A different relationship than our father. Not just a culturally as Jews, he's the father. My father. They knew what he meant. That's Christianity, where Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no question about who is or isn't. He didn't leave any room, any wiggle room there. He is very exclusive. In our culture today, exclusivity is wrong. It's rude. It's arrogant. Thankfully, it's not us saying it. Jesus said it. And we're just representing what he said. And here's the thing about it. If, I was in a, if we were all in a smoke-filled room and there was a fire and I knew what the exit was, how wrong would it be for me to say, all exits lead out when they don't? Can you think about how rude and cruel that would be? That's what we're saying here today. It's not that other religions don't have truth in them. They have some truth. It's not that they're not sincere. They're sincere. What we're saying is Jesus is the way to the Father. He said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's the way. And when we say that, it's not to be exclusive and rude. It's because we care about people And we know we don't want them walking down the wrong road, sincere or not. We want them going to heaven with us. That's what Jesus wanted, so he pointed the one and only way. What do we say about that? We we know that he lived on this earth. He died. He rose again. And because he rose again, it verified and validated everything he ever said. And as he rose again, all of his followers who he trained to set up the church after him and to follow him, they were so amazed by that. It, it animated every sermon they, they preached. And in that first century, as they would preach, they would say, you know this happened because he was seen by all these witnesses. I saw him with my own eyes risen from the dead. It goes on and on. We have the Bible as our source of authority as Christians. 
In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed, all of it. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's kind of offensive to our culture, too. I don't know if you've noticed. But we have a culture today that says, no, I get to decide what is right. And I define for me what is real. And not only that, but then you have to agree with what I just made up. And then you have to celebrate it. That's really different than what Christianity teaches. Because in this verse alone, it just says that actually God wanted to communicate the truth to us. He loved us enough to show us the door, the exit in that smoke-filled room. And he wanted us to know what it was. So he laid it out for us. And in his love, he said, this is the way to do it. Maps are kind of obsolete today. Have you seen a map lately? I mean, they're hard to find sometimes. A real map. You know what I'm talking about? A map that actually shows the streets and all that. I mean, I realize so much on my phone, it's scary in a way. I mean, what if we lost all that? What do we do? I, I saw a meme yesterday. It made me laugh, literally laugh out loud, not just LOL, but I really did laugh out loud. It said, get this. It said, what is, I wonder what that part of my brain that used to remember phone numbers is doing now. You remember that? I used to have so many phone numbers locked in there. I know my wife's number. I can still remember my parents' home number, even though they don't have a phone anymore. I can remember Nicole's mom's number. I, don't, I can remember some of the numbers at churches I've worked at. I mean, I know this phone number church, but I mean, how pathetic is that? And what happened to that part of our brain? It's just gone. But culture things, things change. The fact is, all scripture is inspired by God, and he wanted us to know it, so he gave it to us. And look how this, what this says. It's for us to realize what is wrong in our lives. That's another thing in our culture today. Nobody wants to be told. I don't like being told that what I'm doing is wrong. Does anybody like that? Anybody like being corrected? Now, there's times I do. If I'm trying to learn a new skill, if, if I'm around somebody, I know they know way more about something. I mean, I was hunting this weekend, and the people I was with, they do it way more than me. I was really wanting to learn. I don't mind being told, hey, you should do it like this, change this, change that. But in general, when it's a moral thing, I don't like that. Do you like that? Who likes that? Well, our culture today says, not only do I not like that, but you can't do that. <laughs> you can't tell me I'm wrong. We go to Scripture because it's what guides us. It corrects when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We're supposed to use it that way. So what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you follow all this? The first thing is you acknowledge that I've done things that were wrong. And that I acknowledge that and I look to him for forgiveness because he's provided forgiveness for us. Christ's sacrifice does that. And then I want to change. I want to submit to that. Who likes to submit? Why do we not like that today? It's, it's crazy how our culture has changed so much. I mean, it used to be that there was clear authority structures. You know, this, this person's in charge of this and then you submit to that and, and we walk down the road. But really today... It's as if nobody wants to submit to any of that. And we, we fight all of that. But the fact is, if I'm going to turn my life over to God, I'm going to live the way he says to live, and I'm going to find out what he says, and I'm going to go to Scripture because that's where the answers are to that. And then ultimately it works like this. Jesus said it like this. If you want to add up all the rules, it's not that difficult. You love God and you love others. He simplified the whole thing. He said all the law and the prophets are love God, love others. Because if you love God, you're not going to do anything to offend him. And, if you, and the way you love God and the, you love others, that demonstrates how much you love God. 
Sounds simple, right? It's all in the details, though. It really comes down to it. And, you know, there's that old song, What Has Love Got to Do With It? You ever heard that song? Who gets to define what love is? <laughs> I, I got on a whim. I thought, I wonder how many so- I know there's a lot of songs that mention love, and I know there are love songs, but even songs that aren't love songs mention love. So I did this. I, I, it, oh, it was a rabbit trail. I regret going down. I just, I just put into, I, I use Bing most often. I put in the Bing search engine, you know. First of all, I said, what, how many love songs are, or how many songs mention love per decade? That was crazy. Because you realize, I mean, there's more and more and more and more songs every decade made. So then I thought, oh, this is going nowhere. I can't, I can't do this anymore. So then I put in there, I, I thought, how many songs just mention love? <laughs> this one uh, website I found, this guy had gone through all the top 100 songs. So that doesn't even include every song, if you think about it. Just the top 100 of each year going back into the 40s. 1,187 songs mention love. 1,187. So even, uh, and so I thought, well, let me just, you know how you do that, control all, click on it, and then copy and paste. Because I thought I'd bring them out here today. 1,187 songs, just those in, in a 10-point font, which isn't very big. Most, most books are 12-point. It, it was going to be 40 pages of song titles. 40 pages. Just the titles. That's not the words. That's just the titles. So I, I printed it out, but what I did is I made it in columns and left it at 10. It came out to, and back, you know, front and back came out to seven, eight pages. I bet you know these songs. Some of them you may not know, but most of them I bet you know. Because we care about what love is, don't we? Why would we sing about this so much? Because it matters. Love matters. Love between each other, love from God, love, love for your children. See Jason holding that sweet baby, just holding that baby. That's love, right? You know what it is when you see it. You, you all want it. You all need it. As human beings, we are created that way because God is love. That's who he is. He created it, and part of our identity is wanting and needing love, and we give love, and we have that connection with each other. You also know what it's not, don't you? When someone literally does not care, they're completely indifferent, there's low love. Some people think hate is the opposite of love. It's not really. It's indifference when you do not care. Hate is, hate is it, it's, it's bad, but it's not really the opposite of love. But who gets to tell you what love is? Wasn't it foreigner who said, what does love mean? I want you to show me. I think a lot of times we're wondering, what does it mean? And I've seen the bumper sticker that love means love, but does it? What kind of love is that? I know you love your spouse. Your, I know you love your kids. I know you love other things. And then, you know, we can joke around about the fact that, you know, we love pizza, we love football, we love barbecue, we love trucks, we love things that are fun and fast and higher and better and stronger, and, right? Can you love something and it not be good? I mean, think about that for a minute. Can you really love something and it's not good for you? Is that something God would want for you then? I know I'm playing around with that word love, but the reason I'm doing it is because I think what happens is when you misdefine something, it really changes what it is. And if I say you need a love, but you need a love like I define it, then really you've got to find out, well, what do you mean by love then? What, what do you mean by that word? Because I can love something and then not, and not be good. Does it mean just being nice? Well, if that was it, I would just say be nice. It's more than that. If, it, if love was just accepting you, 
Well, I can accept you, but still not love you. If it, if it means just being kind or giving or forgiving, all those are good, but those are not, they don't fully encompass what really is meant by that word love. And it really matters how you define something. It really, really, really matters. What is important then is to know what God says it is. Because no offense, but what you say it is may not be the right thing. And what somebody else says it is may not be the right thing. And these 1187 songs about love, probably not the right thing. Love is blind. Love is my disease. Uh, Teenage love affair, how strong my love is. I'm just, let me just see. All the love in the world, love's not enough. Um, I'm through with love. I love you. Your precious love, penny lover. To I can't trust this. What does this come from? This comes out of the heart of man who, who is broken. I got to be honest. Our, we're broken. And the way we define things is broken a lot of times. We do it so selfishly. It's, it's about what I want and how I want it. And, and if you don't love me the way I want, then I can say you aren't loving. And no one wants to be unloving. But the fact is, if you've misdefined what love is then what, the way you're saying that is, is meaningless. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit anymore. What is love? I, I just want to grab one scripture here to talk about love. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. Words mean things. They matter. They matter. Even the, think about a stoplight. Why do we call it a stoplight? Because that's the most important part of what it does. The go part is safe. It's, but when you need to stop, you need to stop. It matters what that is. Think about how confusing diagnoses can be. You, 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 the doctor, you can tell it's serious, but you don't know what it is. And he says, okay, it's, it's good news. You got a negative diagnosis. Negative? I thought negative was bad. I've had, I've had times where I've had a fracture and I've had a broken arm. Well, what's the difference? What does it mean? It matters. Do you think about confusing our languages sometimes? What if I told you something was happening next Tuesday? What day would that be? What would it be if it was Monday and I told you it was next Tuesday? It wasn't this Tuesday. It's next Tuesday. Well, which Tuesday is it? Is it Tuesday next? I know some parts of the country, they say that, Tuesday next. And so I would say, well, do you mean in two Tuesdays? I mean, today's Monday. Not, not tomorrow, but the next Tuesday. It matters. The way you define things matter. All that matters. <laughs> oh, I wrote it, so I'm going to say it. You know what homophones are? You know what homophone is? Those are words that sound the same, but they don't mean the same thing. Fuzzy was, he was a bear. <laughs> I don't hear the, oh my gosh, pass here everywhere. He's a bear. You know what a bear is, right? So I, if I said something is bad and I can't bear it anymore, you would know what that is, right? And if I said it was a close call and it barely missed me, or if I said, we don't have any food, the covers are bare, or I said, tell you how many you really feel, I want you to bear your soul, or if I said, uh, hey, you don't have your shirt on, you're barebacked, or I could say you could jump on my back and then you'd be riding bareback. <laughs> Does it matter? Yes, it matters. How do you define those words? Matter. And when I talk about love, it matters. So who gets to define love? I'm sorry, but if you're going to trust the culture's definition for love, don't, don't get me wrong. I love America. I love our country. I love people. I love cultures. I'm fascinated by cultures. I love to sit and find out what they think is important and how they decide things and how they do things different. 
But the problem with cultures is you can't really trust it because it changes. And it, the definitions, it's like a moving target. It's never the same. And a lot of times it's defined selfishly. I mean, are you going to let your, the world define it? How, we had 1,187 songs, and I bet you, I'll bet you love means something different in most of them. Space Age love song. I don't even know what that is. Lovers and losers. Love rush. I'm, seriously? Love this pain. Jump for my love. Pointer sisters, that's funny. Expelled from love. The game of love. Come on. Who gets to define what it is? This is something so important. It matters so much. Why do we do this with that word? Who defines it? Do you define it? Does your family define it? Are all loves the same? You know they're not. You know they're not. In our current culture, most of the time when they say love, they're talking about acceptance and celebrating a point of view, and they've defined that as love. Any behavior, any belief, any choice. And what you cannot do is criticize because that's unloving. I had a thought about this. It just, it's in something that's rolling around in my brain. What? If God is love and he invented love, and get this really, you need to get this in your heart. He created human beings for relationship, a true love relationship, the way he defines it. It's not coerced. It's not forced. You have a choice. You have a true choice to either love him back or not. You choose it. If it's forced, it's not real love. If he somehow pressured you into it, it's not real love. If he tricked you into it, it's not real love. If you didn't have a choice, it's not love. And you know that, you know that even in human relationships, I mean, you think about a, a harem and all these girls that are just placed in a king or a sultan, and they, that's not love. It's not love. You know that. Why in the world then would the enemy take this idea of what God says is love and distort it? Why would he twist it? Why would he do that? You know why? I tell you why. Because I think the enemy of our souls, his desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he so desperately wants to hurt God, and he cannot. So what he's going to do is he's going to hurt the thing that God loves the most, and that's you. Think about that for a minute. Think about what it's like for God of the universe who created you. He created you. He knew your name before you were even born. He, you were on his mind. We're going to read those scriptures in a minute. Do you, do you realize God knew you? Charlie, Mickey, Amber, he knew you. He knew your name before you were even created. And how could the enemy of our souls hurt you or hurt him? By hurting you. By taking the, the, the love relationship that God invented to have between us and him and distorting it into some selfish, ugly thing. That hurts him. Think about your kids. You hear all this about mama bears. Think that whole election in Virginia was all about mama bears, right? You can do something to me, but you touch my kid, it is on, right? How much does it hurt you when your kid lies to you? Do you remember the first time they did that? And you thought, how could that happen? I've trained you different than that. I've, 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 why would you lie? It's, it's always over something dumb when they're little, right? We had one of ours... One of them drew on the wall. I know you're probably thinking, only one? Actually, yeah. And the other two are like, 
She drew on the wall. Had, she lied. And we're like, we know you did it. But it hurt at a deep level as a parent because you love them. You want the best for them. You want what's really, really, really the best for them. I think that's why the enemy did that. Because he, he, he wanted to hurt the very thing, the apple of God's eye, which is you. And to do that best, he destroyed that love. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Our love could never, ever be as pure and good as God's love. What is, what is his love? Think about this for a minute. He loves you deeper, better, more fully that you could ever be loved by any human being because his love is pure. Think about that for a minute. There is no selfishness in God's love. His love for you is the very best thing that could possibly ever be. How many times have you you told your kids something and they said, why? And you said, because I said so. What's behind the because I said so part? It's not just about respect. It's about love because you know what's good. You know what's best for them and they can't see it yet. Because they're, they're too young or immature. Or they just see limited. And you've, you've already walked that road. Or you've been down that street. You know what is there. You care about them and you love them. And because of that, you want the best. God wants your best and he knows what's best. There's nobody that knows more than him or knows you better than him. Or, or loves you more than him. Or cares about you more than him. His love is a pure love that's pure in a way that can never... It's, it's hard for us to even, even comprehend. Psalm 139 We read this, talking about God. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew you before you were even born. And as he created you in your mother's womb. It's funny how science takes a minute to catch up to scripture. We know the heartbeat starts so early. Blood starts circulating in a human body. Those delicate inner parts We've got brain waves detectable, I think, in 40 days after conception. Even the moment of conception, when, when those, you know, the egg and the, and the sperm get together and boom, brand new life is created. Genetically unique. Never before existed on the planet. That just blows my mind. And God knew you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. This, this just, it, it brings, it You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Those of you who've had children, you know, did you get that book about like that shows you each each week of, of development? God saw it from the very beginning. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I don't know about you. I, there's times where I feel uh, like you may wonder, like, uh, God, do you know what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I do. I actually, you're on God's mind. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you're still with me. This passage of scripture is beautiful. It's, it's long. It talks about the fact that he knows where he's, he's there in the darkness. He's there in the light before we get up, before we go down. He knows our thoughts. I mean, on and on and on. He's there. He knows you. He loves you. He loves you better and more than you could ever be loved. I, I know parental love is close to this. You want what's best for your kids. And 
I think at times, you know, we feel torn and we want to give maybe our kids what we never had. We want to make it easier for them. We want to give, give, give. And then, then times we realize, well, just giving them everything probably isn't the most loving because they also need to earn it and respect it and own it and appreciate it. It's different. How many times you spent money on a gift and they liked it and then played with the box all day? You know it's not loving to give them too much candy or too much playtime or no discipline or anything they want or let them go anywhere and do anything. I mean, you would never want them to play on the freeway, right? Right? Or climb the electrical towers. We had one of those by our house when I was a kid. It was huge. It's really windy up there, by the way. But I'll guarantee you my parents told me no because they loved me. Do you get this? You can't do just anything. And it's not because God wants to keep you from having fun. He made you. He knows what's good. He knows what's fair. And he gives us those limitations. And why, why we go to Scripture to find out what that is is because he knows best. And he loves fully, completely, purely. What he wants for you is the best. Amen. And each of us as individuals, you know, we think we know, but it's not the same. God loves because he's love. He defines love. It's his nature to love. It's who he is. He doesn't even have to try to be loving. It's him, who he is. It's an expression of who he is. And because of that, he knows what's best. For some of us, sometimes it, doesn't, it may not be what you want, but it's the best thing. For you may feel like, oh, I think this is best for me. But God says, no, it's not. And I, I promise you what he says is best. It's for your ultimate good, not just temporary pleasure, just, not just good now, but good forever and ever and ever. It's who he is. <laughs> Think about this. Is love just cupcakes and frosting all the time? No, you know that. Does it always feel good? No. Can punishment be love? Yes. I didn't hear a big yes there. Can love mean God tells you no? Yes. Can love mean that God tells you how to live? Yes, can love be that he created you in such a way and that's what he wants for you? In every area of your life, and talking about marriage, talking about gender, talking about sexuality, talking about how you handle your money, talking about how you live your life, what you do for a living, all those things God loves you and has a way for you to do that. So what does this mean for you today? You know what I hope? I hope that as you're sitting there today, you feel loved by a God that knows you and cares about you and loves you. And would you realize that when he says, this is best for you, you say, you know what? It is best because I know you love me. If I could have Pastor Nick join me up here. If you agree that God is good, then you know that he's good and he is love. The first thing is that he loves you and you accept his love. When we read that earlier, God is love. And everyone that knows him, you know he's love. He, he loves you. He made you. He created you. I don't know about you. When I think about that, that my, he's, I'm on his mind, how can that be? You know how nice it feels when someone's thought of you? Maybe they call you or text you or send you a gift or, or I don't know, send you a Facebook message or something and say, hey, you're on my mind today. I thought of you. You know what that feels like, right? Wow. You, they took a little bit of brain space and... I filled it. And God does that with you at every moment. Every single moment. He can do that because he's God. Every single one. Top to bottom, back and forth, everyone. 
When you accept God's love for you, that changes everything. And that means that you may have to look at your life and say, wow, if that's true, and I look in Scripture and things don't line up, that means because He loves me, I know it's the best thing. It may not be what I want, but it's okay. That means you might need to change an attitude or a behavior. I look at it this too. You know, that whole junk in, junk out. What you allow into your mind, you may need to change that because you know it's not best for you. <laughs> he says to guard your eyes because they are the window to the soul. For us as guys, that means we got to guard our eyes and there's things we can't let in. And he's told us that because it's good. It's natural for us to want certain things that aren't good for us. I want to say this too. It may mean for you, you got to lean into his love and not push against him. You may be here and for you, you're thinking, oh, I don't usually come to church. And as you've been sitting here and I've been talking about the love of God and what it really means, that he wants the best thing for you and it may not be what you want, it may mean that you need to let your guard down and say, wow, if he's really that good, and he says I need to live like this, then maybe I need to live like this. You need to embrace him. For us, it doesn't just stop there. It also means that we love other people that way. That means that we love them in the real definition of love. For some people, it means that you need to love them regardless of what they're doing with their life, but it's, it, we don't always approve of every single thing, but we still love them. We still, hold, we still love them. You can do that. I mean, even if some people don't love you back, you can be faithful and love them like God does. It doesn't change anything. We care for people. I want, I want to read this passage to you as we close this. It's, you may not think of it as love, but it is. In Galatians, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, humbly help that person back on the right path. That's love. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. In this way, obey the law of Christ. That's love. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. Oh, it's so funny. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for responsible for your own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing with them all good things. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So listen to this expression of love. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. What does love look like? I'm just going to throw out some ideas, some practical things. Who are some people you can love? That you give a kind word to, you give them a hug, you care about them. Maybe you clean their house or rake their leaves or deliver food or listen to their problems or take them to the bank or watch their kids. There's so many practical expressions of love. But it's an unselfish, giving love. I'm going to ask you to do something here today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. It's kind of my culture. I feel like when my eyes are closed, I can focus on just the words I'm hearing and I'm not distracted by anybody around. And 
It's kind of like when the little kid covers their eyes and says, you can't see me. We just have this sense of being alone in a room full of people. I don't know everybody here, and I certainly don't know everybody's life or what you're struggling with or walking with. What I sense God saying, though, is that there are people here who've maybe doubted God's love or pushed away from God's love or felt like maybe the exclusivity of Christianity was frustrating. And maybe today as you realize God loves you and his love is love that is good and wholesome and huge and there's no way you can measure it and it's for your good that you would consider today trusting him with your life and actually letting him tell you how life should be lived. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. I don't know who that could be, but I want to pray with you if that's you. Anybody at all feel like that today that maybe you've been resistant to that, but you realize today you accept the fact he's good. He cares about you. Maybe as I've been talking, he's, he's been speaking to you and you just feel this sense that that's true. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. We'll pray with you. Maybe if you're online, you could say something in the chat. Let us know. If that's you, I want to pray with you today. Anybody at all? All right, I trust that you guys know him. I want to do this too, though. With your eyes still closed, maybe for you, you're, you've been not sure how to love people. I'm going to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to love people like God says to love them. Not how the culture says to love. Not how maybe you have felt like you should love, but actually how God says. That you love them in the way that is what God says is best for them. That can be tough sometimes. Because his way is really what he's laid out in scripture for us. But I'm going to pray for us as we close this morning. And if you are loving in that way, let God deal with the rest of it. And as we close, I'm going to dismiss us. But even afterward, if you want prayer for anything at all, I'm going to be down here ready to pray with you. So I want you to make that available too. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray for this, this church, these people. And as we live out a culture of love and a culture that you have created here in this, in this world, in this church, as Christians, I pray that you would go with them at every moment. I pray that you would help us to love like you love. That you would help us to love in a way that is affirming of what you've told us to love. And God, that we would love people with an unconditional love that you give us. God, I'm so amazed that we are on your mind I'm so grateful that you think about us, that you alone, you God of the universe, have me on your mind. It's just, it's humbling. And I pray, God, you'd help us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Will you stand with me today? And as you leave this place, greet each other with love. You could express that love however you feel comfortable doing that. But love them. And if you want prayer for anything, I'll be right down here front and pray, ready to pray with you. God bless you.